Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, we're finishing today our four-week series called Invest Your Life. And this series has been a way to kind of set the tone for the year. I don't know about you, but I've been in church for a very long time, um, over 60 years. And sometimes in the church, the message can come through something like this. Everything would be okay if you would just try a little harder. If you would just work a little harder, man, if you would just read your Bible more. You used to have these envelopes when we were kids. You may remember this, you were Baptist. It said, you know, they had these little boxes to check off. It said, you know, read your Bible this week, witnessed to someone, brought your offering, um, brushed your teeth, changed your underwear. I don't know, something like that. That's how it felt, though, right? It's like, I'm going to check all these little boxes, and I didn't get them all checked, so I just need to try harder. It's kind of like those rings on your on your app for your athletic ability, right? You gotta, you gotta, gotta make close those rings, you know? We gotta, we gotta work harder, we gotta try harder in order to be happy, in order to be pleasing to God. And this whole series is about, no, that's not it at all. Did you know that's not it? That we're not calling you to try harder? See, Jesus said, I want you to invest more. I want you to trust me with more. Because that's what an investment is, right? I'm investing my money. I'm trusting someone else to take care of it. I'm entrusting them to grow that money. And I'm going to sit back and let them do it. Maybe I'm going to worry about it, but I'm going to invest in them, right? Jesus said, come and follow me. And I'll make you something special. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Not come and follow me and work really hard and try just... There are actually, go try, go try to get better before you come to me. It's kind of like, you know, the, all the players are, are meeting here in South Florida right now for spring training. Praise God, baseball's back. Um, it's a godly sport, really, because it's a sport of failure, you know? If you don't know what that means, we'll talk to you later. Anyway, so those players have to come ready, because if they don't, they're going to get cut. Jesus said, come and I'll make you ready, Right? You come to me, and I'm going to do something amazing. That's what this whole series is about. We talked about the fact that you need to invest your life rather than try harder. We talked about the fact that you need to get small, that we need to, we need to reduce kind of our footprint and allow Jesus to work in us, just like he cut the army of Gideon down from 32,000 to 300, because if they defeated the army with 32,000, they would have taken credit. God, I want to get small, and I want you to do just about everything. And then last week, we talked about the misery of the uninvested life, the story of Jonah, the misery of constantly running from God. God wants me to do this, but I don't want to do that. Is he God or is he not God? Is he going to do something amazing or not? We talked about repentance. Well, today, we're going to talk about getting happy. title of the message today is, This Should Be Fun. It should be, amen, thank you, it should be fun, right? How many people think this ought to be fun? We ought to, followers of Jesus ought to be the happiest people in the world, and the rest of you are a bunch of cranky people, and you're just like me most of the time, sadly. Boy, sometimes church people can be cranky, you know? It's sad. 
Why in the world would we not be the happiest people in the world? Jesus Christ died for us, paid the price I could never pay. I ought to be really happy. I found out years ago whether I was the happy one or the sad one in our relationship. You see, most marriages, a lot of times there is, there's a happy person and a sad person. You know, there's, a, there's a happy person and an optimistic person, and then there's the crankpot, that person. And sometimes you wonder who you are. If you don't know, I can probably tell you. But uh, I found out one day, it was, it was, the kids were all in grade school. We're living in Kentucky, important fact. And there was this trip that came up with the school that our kids could sign up and enter a drawing to get to go to NASA, to Cape Canaveral, to watch a thing they used to have called the Space Shuttle way back in the day. And they were going to get to take this trip, and they were so excited, and they came home and they told their mom, Mom, there's a trip to NASA. We're going to go to Florida and see the Space Shuttle take off. It's going to be amazing, but we have to, you have to sign this consent form for us to get to go. And God bless her, Julie said the words that no kid wants to hear. We've got to ask Dad. <laughs> Weeping and gnashing of teeth followed. <laughs> no, we can't ask Dad. There's no way Dad's going to let us go. Now, praise God, my wife gave me that heads up before I got home. She said, honey, I don't know why they would say that. <laughs> For some reason, they think that you're not going to be excited about them going. So I came home and I pretended to be excited and I made myself let them go. But so, so I found out I was actually the cranky person. Julie's the person that's going to be fun. She thinks that even if there's a chance something good is going to happen, we should celebrate. Celebration is a normal part of our life because of her. We finished a project and she goes, dun da da dun, we finished. It's amazing. Let's get excited. Let's enjoy it. My dad was like this. He used to say, going into a weekend, he'd go, okay. I know we got to do yard work, but what are we going to do for fun? Is your life fun? Are you rejoicing? The book of Philippians is the book of joy in the Bible. And it comes out of what we talked about a month or two ago. We talked about Philippi. You remember how Paul came to Philippi and, and he... He, there was no synagogue, so he heard some women would pray down by the river. And he went down the river, and he was able to lead Lydia, this important, successful businesswoman, to the Lord and her household and her friends. And that was the beginning of the church. And on, on the way back to Philippi from the river, they came upon this, this slave girl who these, these people owned, and they were using her as a fortune teller, and she was making them a lot of money. Incidentally, side note, this, woman, this girl was demon-possessed, if you're getting your fortune told, you're not hearing from God. Okay? Don't do that. That is going to be demonic. Stay away from that sort of thing. And if you want to know your fortune, let me just tell you, I can tell you right now, right now. If you reject Jesus, you go to hell. If you receive Jesus, you go to heaven. That's your fortune. That's about all that you really need to know. Okay? So don't be looking at your hand. There's a bunch of people back here. They're looking... What's happening there? Doesn't matter. That's all that matters. That's your fortune. So we solved the problem already. Praise God. So the book of Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 1, 6. He says, listen, Philippians, I'm excited about you. 
Because he who began a good work in you is what? He is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's faithful. Who's faithful? He's faithful. Are you faithful? Maybe not, but he's faithful. He's the one that's going to accomplish it in you. That should be incredibly joyful. God is completing something in you that only he can complete. I love that. If Philippians 1.21 says, Paul says, man, I can't decide whether I want to live or die. And you think that's a sad thing? No, that's an exciting thing. Because Paul says, to live is what? To live is Christ. Being To live is that I have Jesus with me all the time. And to die is more of that. And I get to see him face to face. So I'm happy either way. So I'm not worried about what might happen to me. Because at the time, by the way, he's in prison. Oh, and oh, by the way, the Church of Philippi, you know how it... The other thing I failed to mention is that Paul and Silas are in prison, and it's the middle of the night. They're undeservedly in prison. You know what they're doing? They're singing praises, Mike. They're singing praises to God while they're unjustly in prison. So joy is how this church is founded. And God sends an earthquake and opens the gates, and they got to lead the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord. That's the whole context of the people of Philippi and the church of Philippi which is super amazing when you think about this book about joy. So to live as Christ, die as gain. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 2.13 says what? For it is God who asks you to work really hard. Try harder. No, it's God in you who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When I let God work, he's doing his thing. I invest, he works. I love that. You invest, and God's going to work. And then in 3, 1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you is no trouble, but it is safe for me. Paul's saying, listen, I'm in prison. You're facing opposition. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And then I think it's in 3.13, he says, Listen, I count all things but loss in compared to Jesus Christ. Everything that I've gained, and he gained a lot, all of my training, all of my goodness, all of my good works, I counted as loss rather than when I consider Jesus Christ. He's so much better than all that. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he tells them how. Philippians 4, 4. And I want you to know, if you're a cranky person, don't raise your hand. Um... If you're the cranky person in the relationship, if you're a cranky person in the room, and I see a lot of joyful people in the room, I want you to know, um, don't put up that wall that you want to put up right now because I want you to be in, leaving this service joyful. You see, I believe God calls us to joy, and Paul is telling us rejoice in the Lord. So let down that defense. All the reasons why you shouldn't be happy, let them down. And let's look at what Paul says about rejoicing in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Part of the time? Always. Some of the time? Always. Rejoice in the Lord? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Here's what he's saying. Listen, you need to be happy in this all the time. This is a double imperative, right? I'm saying it, and I'm saying it again. You need to get happy. We okay so far? 
We're going to get happy, joyful, to rejoice is to be glad, to be happy, to be thrilled, to celebrate. That's really what that word means. Paul says rejoice in the Lord, not just in little things or stupid things. or silly. He says rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. What he has done, he has paid the price for your sin. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his purpose. He's gone to prepare a place for you. Would you please get happy about that? You may say, well, you know, I always, I don't know, because, you know, I've been going through a tough time. And I know there's a lot of tough times in the room right now. You've got some difficulty. When I say rejoice, you say, I would rejoice except I'm really concerned about this. Or I would rejoice except I just don't know about them. Really, I can't, listen, Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews 12 because we see such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that God has set before us, setting aside or untangling ourselves from all the sin that slows us down. And verse 2 says what? It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and, pract- and, and perfecter of our faith, or the author and finisher of our faith, the old King James, who for what? The what? The sadness, the pain, the misery. The, no, he says, for the joy. Jesus went to the cross motivated by joy. The joy of saving you. See, if Jesus could be motivated by joy during the worst event that ever happened to anyone in the history of the world, could you be joyful? Could you be happy? Could you be joyful? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. What's your percentage right now? What percentage of the day are you joyful? 5%? Maybe right after you pray, after you have a, before you eat, maybe, I don't know. Um, You get up in the morning happy. Maybe you're happy when you get home from work. What percentage are you, where's the joy of the Lord in your life right now? Rank yourself. 10%? 20 percent 50 percent 100 percent i love uh i love what julie says i'd be i'd been be embarrassed if i wasn't happy right how could i not be happy of all that jesus has done but how well these next four verses we're going to talk about four things that can help you be a joyful person four things to help you be a joyful person number one happens in verse five let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. I don't know what you're thinking. Steve, I don't understand what reasonableness has to do with happiness. My happiness comes when I defeat someone. That's my happiness. I don't want to be reasonable. Reasonable means I'm actually listening to somebody else, and I don't like to listen to anybody else. I like when people listen to me. That's why I'm a preacher. Amen? This word reasonableness... Your version may say gentleness. Um, That's the old King James Version. Uh, Reasonableness, gentleness. The word really means a little bit of a tolerance. See, you really don't have to win every argument and every debate. You really don't. I remember early in our marriage, that's what I thought my role is in the family. She would call me the district attorney because I could argue logically and I could win. I could make all the reasons why she was totally wrong. 
I could win every argument, but it really wasn't loving. And I really probably wasn't even right. Just because you win the argument, it doesn't mean you're right. Reasonableness, gentleness. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to Jesus as gentle and humble. Are you, are you characterized by gentleness and humility? I love what Ray Comfort says, the great evangelist. He says, you know, Jesus gave what? He gave the law to the prideful, and he gave grace to the humble. Here's what I think Paul is saying to us when he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He's saying, listen, let your Jesus show through. Let that be what you're characterized by. Because if you're letting Jesus show through, you're being spirit-filled. You're letting that spill out of your life. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more joyful than to let Jesus live through you. Let Jesus show through you. Let that be how your life is characterized. When people think of you, I think of the gentleness of Jesus. And then he says, for the Lord is at hand. And some of you are going to throw that little phrase away, but he says the Lord is at hand, and Paul really probably means two things, and he likes to do this because we get to wonder, what does he mean? Well, the Lord is at hand means that not only is Jesus present, right, because you're a follower of Jesus, his spirit fills you, so the Lord is at hand, he is right there. And what he means is, listen, you should let him show through because he's there. It's kind of like having Jesus with you and you're having a conversation. You go, well, Jesus, just stay back there. I want to screen you off the boards, Trey Carroll. I want to keep you from getting to the, to the boss. I'm going to screen you away. And so I want to stop you from being seen because I want to be seen. Me, me. It's, no, it's about Jesus. I want you to be seen. Don't stop him. Make room for him to show through your life because the Lord is at hand. And not only that, but he's at hand in another way, isn't he? Because he could come back right now. All throughout Scripture and all throughout history, the goal of one of the, the mindsets we're to have always is a sense of urgency that Jesus could come back right now, today, in this moment. There may not be another moment. Paul says, listen, don't shield Jesus from people knowing him because he's really close and they may not have another opportunity to see Jesus other than in you. Struggling with being joyful? Let Jesus show through your life. And you may need to deal with some sin for him to do that. It's usually a time of repentance. Say, God, I don't, I don't want to get in the way. I want you to shine through. So number one, let Jesus shine through. Number two, number two is in verse six. And this is going to hurt. How many of you... Don't raise your hand, but I'm going to raise my hand. How many of you get anxious sometimes? How many of you are anxious right now? And there's something that's really bothering you. Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything unless it's really important. No, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Do not be anxious about it. That word anxious in Scripture refers to being overly concerned, worried. It's care gone wild. I care. That's why I have to worry. That's, if, I didn't, if I didn't care, I wouldn't worry because stuff I care about, I worry about. I, I put in my little box of worries and I, I spend my day. I do my job, my due diligence to make sure I worry about that because that'll help. 
Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now listen, if you have a problem with anxiety, you have a problem in your prayer life. If you have a problem with anxiety, you have a problem in your prayer life. And we've all been there, right? You're, you're like, I, I, I'm just worried about it. I can't stop thinking about it. Here's what's happening. When you make your request known unto God, you're praying, saying, God, I want to bring you this thing I'm worried about. I'm still going to do my job, right? It's not that it doesn't mean you don't show up to do what God's given you to do in your normal role. But when you're, when you're praying about something, you say, God, I need you to do what I can't do because worry says I'm worried about stuff I cannot control. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Jesus says, why are you worried about what you're putting on? About your clothes, what you're going to eat, and all that kind of stuff. That's crazy. Don't you know I care about you more than the lilies of the field? The birds of the air, and let I've, I've clothed them more than Solomon. I've, I've given them beautiful clothes. Why are you worried about this? Why are you worried about your clothes? Now, I'm glad that you all came dressed today. Praise God, you look good. Except for some of you guys need to up your game, but most of you look good. Why are you worried about this? When I pray, I'm saying, God, I'm going to trust you with what I cannot handle, what I don't have any control over. And I'm going to trust you with thanksgiving, which means I'm going to say, Jesus, whatever you decide is good for me. Whatever you decide to do is good for me. You see, when I'm, when I'm praying, I am offloading my, my responsibility to worry. I'm doing my part. God, I've given you this. I'm trusting you with this child that I'm worried about today. I'm trusting you with this relationship I'm worried about today. I'm trusting you with this job situation I'm worried about today. I'm still going to be a parent. I'm still going to be a good worker. I'm still going to do my job. But I'm trusting you with the results. I'm offloading my responsibility to you, Jesus. Because I know I don't have control. See, here's the thing. When we reserve the right to judge what God does we will never experience the peace of the Lord. See, look at verse 7. Verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, when you are anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God. What does it say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. See, God's peace doesn't make any sense because you're all dealing with something you should be anxious about, the world would say. This is when you do that, when you trust God with the results and say, God, I... I'm not going to judge you if you don't do it the way I want to do it. So often we pray to God, say, God, I'm praying, but I'm going to continue to wring my hands and go, God, if you don't do it this way, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. If you don't fix this, if you don't cure this person, if you don't save this person, you don't heal this, you don't do that, I'm never going to be happy. You're never going to experience the peace of God that way. We say, God, it's well with my soul. This is what I'm praying for, but I'm trusting you. When that happens, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because what happens when I give it to him and I leave it there, and I trust him with that, is he guards my heart from kicking Jesus out of it, if you will. 
Not for salvation, but you, 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 we tend to wall him off. I can't be happy. I can't let you fill me, Spirit, until you solve this problem for me, Jesus. See, when we, that's, you'll never have peace that way. But when you say to Jesus, I'm trusting you with this request. The peace of God guards your heart. You're not going to fall into anxiety. You're not going to live a life of constant worry. You're going to live a life of peace. So if you want to rejoice, let Jesus shine through and treat your anxiety with prayer. Deal with your prayer life. Number three. Number three, verse eight. Verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What are you thinking about right now? What do you think about throughout the week? What's going on in your mind? Are you thinking about the things that are true or things that might be true? Are you thinking about things that are honorable or things that are shameful? Are you thinking about things that are just or things that are unjust? Things that are pure or things that are corrupt, things that are lovely or things that are ugly, things that are commendable or things that should be condemned. Is there any excellence? You're thinking of the excellent things, things worthy of praise or worthy of derision. What's going on in your mind? What's your thought life like? Paul is saying there is so many great things you could be thinking about. There's so many wonderful things that can fill your mind that will bring joy in your life. The perfection of a child, or in our case, a grandchild. Think about that little child. Little one, two-year-old, three-year-old, 14-year-old, whatever it is, the perfection of what God does in his creation through a child. Or there's just the perfection of his creation in general. The beauty of a walk on the beach at sunset. As the sun sets in the east and it reflects back in, uh, sets in the west, excuse me, and it reflects back in the east and you see these amazing colors and the colors on the water and the water rolling in and just the beauty of God's creation. It's incredible. Think about a moonrise as the moon somehow pops exactly right out of the ocean. I don't know how it's stored in there at night. I don't understand the astronomy of that someone needs to help me with that but somehow it's in it's stored in there and it pops out once a month just as incredible think about the beauty of God's creation all that he does look at the stars at night this is amazing God what you've done think about when God does something and someone someone you know and you know that could only be God when they say, I get it, I understand. God is leading me in this, in this direction. I love when I get phone calls and I have meetings like this. People tell me, you know, this is what God is doing and I just feel so different because of the way he's changed my life and I'm so grateful for him. And you see the joy in people's life. You hear them in their voices. That's the things we should be thinking about. And it's one of the reasons I love being a part of this church because I, I could name so many stories right now. And I think about you all. And I think about what God is doing. And it's a joyful, joyful experience. And it fills your heart and makes you rejoice. That's amazing, God, you did that in that person's life. It's incredible. Think on these things. If you want to be joyful, 
fill your mind, think on the good stuff. The stuff from God. His creation. His children. His people. Are really, you know, just a good cup of coffee. Praise God. I mean, we're to be thankful for that, right? A perfectly baked cookie. Your favorite meal that someone else prepared, right? Um, Think about the good, the lovely, the pure, the honorable. Think on those things. And then finally, in verse 9, this one is something I think we forget about a lot. Verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You need to get around some joyful people. If you're cranky, just pollute all these joyful people and make them cranky as well, right? No, if you're cranky, you need to be around some happy people. Maybe all the people you're around are cranky. Maybe you're causing them to be cranky. You need to repent of your crankiness, and you need to say, God, would you fill me with joy? I want to be around some happy people. Maybe say, you know what? I work or I go to school with all crabby people. Be intentional about getting yourself a joyful mentor. Someone who can say to you, you know, you need to be excited about what God's doing. God wants to do some amazing stuff in you. I, I'm a, I feel like Jesus must say, how come these people aren't happy? Did they forget what I did for them? Do they forget the place that I'm building for them? They're concerned about their house here. I've got this incredible house. No house here is ever going to be anything like that. I wish they'd get happy. How are you doing with this? Can you rejoice always? Which one of these is the biggest struggle for you? Letting Jesus show through your life? Dealing with your anxiety through prayer? Trusting God with the stuff that you're worried about? Trusting him with whatever he does with it? Does your mind, does your thought patterns really need to change? You just need to be intentional about thinking about some good stuff during the day. Do you need a joyful mentor, a joyful friend, a joyful friend group, something? It's available. There is no reason there should be a barrier between you and joy. No reason in this world. I know some of you are in pain, physical pain, emotional. Listen, There is no reason that you can't be joyful today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Can you trust Jesus in that way? If you can't, I'm just wondering, have you made an investment in him? When I invest my life in Jesus, he is doing such amazing things, I should be filled with joy. But sometimes I wonder, did we make an investment and forget about that? Or do we make an investment and we don't like the way Jesus did something? Listen, you've got to focus on what he is doing in the future. And that his spirit wants to shine through your life. Have you made an investment? Do you need to make more of an investment? Is there a part of your life he can't have? Or a part of your, the rooms of your house, you've kind of locked up some places that he can't go? Or maybe you're just like a lot of us, man, I would really feel better if I could earn it, Jesus. Just let me do something. I want to earn your goodness. I, well, that's what I'm all about. No, you, you need to invest and let him do the amazing stuff in you. 
Jesus, here's my life. I invest it in you. No doubt some of you here today would say, I never received that gift of salvation. I've known about Jesus. Or maybe you had a bad experience growing up in some church somewhere, and it really didn't mean anything to you. It really didn't help you. You didn't find the joy. Maybe your history in church is sadness, is misery. Oh, I'm sorry that that's been your experience. Because Jesus came to bring joy. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and to give it more abundantly or to them to live to the full. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give you. If you've not received the gift of salvation, oh, I would so love the opportunity just to talk with you and to see how I can make Jesus known in your life. And if you're struggling to be joyful, I want to urge you to take one of these things this week either letting Jesus shine through your life, praying through your anxiety and getting rid of that with God, changing your thought patterns, or getting a joyful mentor. Would you think about doing one of those things? Joy is right there. Nothing else has to happen for you to be joyful. It's waiting for you to experience. Would you pray with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out.